Welcome back to Biblical Book Review. I'm Kevin. I'm Alec. And I'm George. We are so happy you are joining us for today's study. This week's study is out of chapter one. George, take it away. The beginnings of any event seem at times obscure, almost uh, without too much meaning. I mean, the idea of something as, as permanent, as eternal as the Church of Christ. There was this humble origin when Jesus is introduced to five disciples on the bank of the Jordan River. The idea that this would change their lives and really change history. This beginning is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, beginning about verse 29. The humble origin of this mighty empire of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's crazy when you think about meeting someone for the first time and how insignificant it can be, but then how it can become such a big part of your life. I think back to my wife meeting her. We were young. I think she was seven. I might have been eight or nine. And I really don't remember those times, but my parents fill in the details. And, you know, I have the story that I tell everyone and how I got in trouble because I was a little Andre, maybe once in a while. But anyway, insignificant, really nothing to write home about. Can't even really remember it myself. But now I can't imagine my life without my wife in it. Yeah, those uh, small beginnings that just maybe maybe they seem insignificant, uh, but all those events as they pile up, they keep coming, they keep coming, they keep coming, and then all of a sudden you're looking back on your life and you're going, man, all these little events, seemingly meaningless events, that turned out to be something incredible. Uh, and you look back at your life and go, man, God's God's providence, his hand was throughout all of these things. And I can say, oh, God, God led me here, led me here, and led me here. And then all these things, and it turns out I'm doing the things that I'm doing today because of these seemingly insignificant events in my life. And here in John chapter 1, the, the church is beginning, and it's this seemingly insignificant. John's, you know, out there, you know, waist deep in the Jordan River, <laughs> baptizing people, and then all of a sudden, here's Jesus, and you're, it's begun, uh, and it, it, it's the church has has begun. The new covenant is is here, and, and salvation has come, uh, and the Lamb of God is here. And it's 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 such a insignificant day uh, in the grand scheme of things, but man, it's so important uh, to uh, the world <laughs> for all time. I mean, it's incredible. And so these first five. Humble men, Andrew and his brother Peter, Philip and Nathaniel, and even one apostle or one disciple here that's unnamed. Of course, it had to be John just because of the memory that has been burned uh, there into his, uh, into his mind for these decades. Here's an old man looking back at this moment in time, and he remembers that day when he saw him for the first time. And so this first meeting must have been sacred in the memory of John the Apostle and the idea that to his latest hour, he remembers with this great emotion that first moment when he saw the Lamb of God. And these other men, it's interesting to think about their 
their uh, appearance here in in this particular text in John chapter one, the scene is there at the bank of the Jordan River. The persons, uh, they're all natives of the northern chunk of, of the, the nation of Israel up there by the Sea of Galilee. Just picture that map that you've drawn in your mind or seen so many times of the lake of Gal or the Sea of Galilee up north and the Jordan River flowing out of it down into the Dead Sea. And up north up near the Sea of Galilee up there is all these individuals are natives of this particular place. And Jesus himself is uh, uh, from Nazareth, which is up north. And so all these individuals, there they are at the uh, Jordan River, and they're listening to this sermon. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. <laughs> what, a, what a short sermon. <laughs> and wouldn't that be yeah. something, Alec, if take we, notes. we actually preach the sermon that short? <laughs> Oh, please take notes. <laughs> Man, if they were if they were that effective, they could be that short. Maybe you should try it. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, but I, here they are. There, there's individuals, and not just these five men, but there are individuals that have that have flocked to this preacher because his message and and his teaching is different than than the stale old whatever it is that they're receiving on a regular basis and they're they're just they're tired of of this particular type of of sermon and they they come confessing their sin they're they're being immersed in the water they're they're awakened because this is the forerunner and they've been waiting for 1500 years since the promise of of Abraham they're saying you know what this is this is something that we've been waiting for. We want to find out who this particular person is. And when John describes himself there in, in, as the immerser, he says, I'm just preparing the way. I'm not even qualified to untie a sandal, let alone baptize him. In fact, we're told later in, in the gospel accounts that they kind of they go back and forth. He says, I want to be baptized by you, and you come to me. And Jesus says, I'm doing this to fulfill the righteousness of God. But there's there's these five individuals, and they, they have a, a particular desire uh, to know who this Messiah is. And when John the Immerser points him out, they are amazed. And the, the, the account or the response given uh, is, is something that we can study and we can look at and, and make a, a determination to follow their example. I think it's fascinating. We've already talked about, you know, the beginnings or meeting someone for the first time, but how about the person that showed you or introduced you to that person? You look at John the Baptist here and how he introduced these men to Jesus. You can think back to your life. Who introduced you to Jesus? Was it, you know, a friend, a family member? How long of an introduction was it? Yeah, was it just a brief, you know, hey, have you heard about Jesus? Or has it been something that's been kind of your whole life? You've been taught who Jesus was, and it just is, is part of who you are as your character. I mean, everybody is different in their in their relationship that they have with Jesus, how they came to know him, uh, but it always took somebody to introduce. You, uh, you needed that individual, that parent, that friend, that teacher to say, here's Jesus, here's who he is. The idea that there, it's accumulation of several individuals, parents, Bible class teachers, friends at work, uh, the examples that you see from uh, people that you attend uh, worship with and 
all of those things they accumulate into uh, this characterization of who you are and at first it's not your faith it's maybe your parents faith or your friend's faith but eventually it becomes your very own and it's the same with these five individuals they are uh, there for the first time seeing Jesus and they've been introduced and now let's let's move forward with making this our own faith and it's uh, these five individuals obviously uh, had the mindset of uh, a spiritual mindset they we would call it uh, pious or religious uh, we'd have some uh, uh, name for it and these individuals all had this desire to find out what it is that God is requiring of us they're they're seeking righteousness and that the definition really of righteousness is what does God view as correct and right and this is what their character is uh, displaying they they are looking for this consolation of Israel they're anxiously looking to fulfill uh, and to see God fulfill his promises and and they are devout individuals already and so we can learn from their example of of being a truth seeker being one of those individuals that says you know what maybe i've heard it from my parents maybe i've i've heard it from uh some podcast or some uh pod uh, some you know publication somewhere but i i want to look into this a little deeper i want to ask the questions i want to i want to be the one that's looking for truth like these five uh, individuals yeah i wanted to read a uh kind of a section from the book, The Training of the Twelve, there on page five that really stuck out to me. Uh, and basically it's just, it's, it's, he says, For if the followers of John were at all like himself, they were men who hungered and thirsted for after real righteousness, being sick of the righteousness then in vogue. They said amen in their hearts to the preacher's withering exposure of the hollowness of the current religious profession and of the worthlessness of fashionable good works, and sighed for the sanctity other than that of the pharisaic superstition and ostentation. Their conscience acknowledged the truth of the prophetic oracle. We are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And they prayed fervently for the reviving of true religion, for the coming of the divine kingdom, the advent of the messianic king with the fan in his hand to separate the chaff from the wheat and to put right the things that were wrong. Such, without a doubt, were the sentiments of those who had the honor to be the first disciples of Christ. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, what do you say after that? <laughs> are you supposed to, how are you supposed to come back to that? Yeah, and it's That's, like this is this book. I mean, it, it is it is deep. It is it, it is incredible. But it's it's basically what they're saying there. You know these these men were hungering and thirsting for righteousness. They they were sick and tired of the hypocrisy that was going around of the the fake righteousness that was in the world at their time, and they they really were looking forward to the messiah they were they read their scriptures and they knew the messiah is real he is coming and we need to be ready for him and these men are are not just your regular <laughs> you know they were regular people uh but they weren't the religious elite individuals they just they understood their scriptures and they were ready for the king they were ready for jesus 
they were pursuing. Yeah. That was what they were pursuing. And it begs the question is, what am I pursuing in my life? Where is my heart? What is most important to me? And it does sound uh, vaguely familiar, doesn't it, with uh, what is described there in uh, how A.B. Bruce kind of describes the, 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 the climate of the religious climate of, of the era, the worthlessness of fashionable good works, the hollowness of the current religious profession. Uh, it sounds like our era today, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. Uh, it's almost like and there's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> <laughs> and so we can really see the, the relevance of this particular book in our review. We start to look at the, you know, as he writes, and he writes, of course, in a different, in a different way, but the, the ideas are very relevant to our situation today. And so let's be what, what Kevin was mentioning. Let's be those individuals who really look and seek and hunger and thirst for a, a relationship with the one who really changed history. Let's, let's be that type of person. Let's have that as our main characteristic. And we need to start that right away. As soon as you become a Christian, you need to start that. And let's take a look at these five men. Let's begin with, with Andrew. Uh, he is uh, best known in Scripture as always bringing someone to Christ. And in this case, Andrew finds his brother, Simon, who is now going to be named Peter by Jesus. But it's, it's the brother of Andrew. And Peter now becomes this this pillar or will become this pillar and Jesus sees something in Peter in spite of, in spite of Peter, really, <laughs> there's, there's something there that he says, I see some strength. I see some power. I see some capacities of faith and devotion that, that I can use for the furtherance of my kingdom here on this earth. And Andrew is credited with bringing Peter to Christ. That is, that's an impressive individual. Andrew, really, we don't know much about him other than, like I said, he's, he's the one that's always bringing somebody. He brings the Greeks to Jesus. He brings that little boy with, with the meal to Jesus. He brings Peter to Jesus. He's, he's constantly bringing someone to Jesus. And so if, if you are in the body of Christ, maybe you have the characteristics of Andrew. Maybe you're the one that says, let me show you Jesus. Let me introduce you to Jesus. Let me bring you into the very presence of Jesus, and maybe you can bring someone like Peter uh, into the presence of Jesus. Yeah, how many times do you hear, "Oh, I'm not a, I'm not a Paul. I'm not a Peter. I'm not a, you know, one of these guys. I can get up and talk or lead singing, or I, you know, my prayers are not eloquent, and you know, I really can't do any of that." Well, here it is. This is the minimum. The bar. And, you know, it's it's sad to say it like that. Like, this is like the lowest you can be because it's really not low. No. It is such an important job to be an Andrew, to say, I am so full of Jesus that it's just spilling out of me everywhere, and I have to tell people. Yeah. I have to show people. You've got to, to see this. Them. You've got to see it. You know, you that mentality of I, there's something special, and I don't want to be the only one that sees this. you got to see this, and you got to see this, and you know, bring everybody. And like you said, maybe it's... Maybe it's the next Paul. Maybe it's the next Peter. Maybe it's 
Maybe it's the next one that's going to be this massive influence in the body of Christ for generations to come, and they just needed the invitation. You be the person to invite them. <laughs> be the Andrew. Be the Andrew. <laughs> and what a, I mean, what a thing to be known for is saying, uh, I've just, all I did was introduce my brother to the Lord. And maybe it is your brother physically. Maybe you have a brother that can be this in, incredible rock of the body of Christ. Maybe it can be, but at least do that. At least do what Andrew did and talk to your brother. And it's, it's interesting to think that uh, we, we can have some success in talking to strangers and going you know, door to door and cold call and those kind of things. There's been some success there, but uh, really Andrew went to the one person that he really knew. <laughs> his brother. He says, come. And I found him. I, we, we found the Messiah. And then Peter pays attention. Peter says, oh really? And Peter shows up. Peter follows Andrew and Jesus sees something in this particular person and says, I'm going to change your name. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I see something that, that everybody probably could see, but Jesus says, I'm going to use that for my glory. And Peter came. And so Andrew gets Peter. And so there's the two. Of course, Philip, uh, in this particular context, we're not given that much information about him. But when we uh, compile the other gospel accounts and even into the book of Acts, we see that, that Philip is one of those individuals who is one of those guys who is very characteristically, uh, deliberately, slow in arriving at decisions and he he makes uh, intelligent comments and and moves in a in a slow uh, possible uh, earnest inquirer after truth and this this individual is is found to have that deliberate focus on finding these answers and and looking for the truth and so we've got Andrew, we got Peter, we got Philip, and these individuals are just the very, very beginning of the foundation of what will become uh, the Church of our Lord. Yeah, and and Philip is almost the exact opposite character of Peter. Peter is so headstrong, and you know he almost speaks before his mind catches up. <laughs> it's, it's often in scriptures, he'll say, say whatever's on his mind, and do and react almost instantaneously. Uh, and Jesus is often, you know, correcting him and 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 guiding him. But he's got that impulsive, uh, uh, reactive behavior. Whereas Philip, like you're saying, is that exact opposite. He's going to take a minute. He's going to think about what he's going to say, and he's going to deliberately say the things that he's saying. And so, they're 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 already. You can see the characteristics of these individuals are they, they're complementary. They're, they're uh, they're not all the exact same person because uh, far too often, you know, in the church, we, we look at it and say, well, like Kevin was saying earlier, well, I'm not a song leader. It's like, well, that's fine. Uh, not everybody's a song leader. Not everybody is the preacher. Not everybody is, you know, whatever it is that you're, you're the, the, the void that's trying to be filled. Not everybody fills that void. Everybody has their place. And then when Paul gets into talking about you know, the, the body of Christ and how there's uh, many different members, but they're all part of the one body and not everybody's the same body. It reminds me of a, uh, a sermon that my dad did when I was young of a giant eyeball and imagining uh, the, uh, the, 
the church as just one body part and it's a giant eyeball and it's just rolling around and it's like what 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 worth of a giant eyeball is there? There is no worth. <laughs> Mike Wazowski. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you need the whole body to be useful and to be uh, um, to be healthy. Uh, and so you're even seeing the beginning of that aspect of the church just here in these first three members of uh, Jesus's twelve. I mean, it's it's impressive. Well, it goes to the saying of you want to do something quickly, do it yourself. If you want something to last, bring someone along. And that's what, if Peter were to be the one that did this himself, it would happen very fast, but it would just fizzle out. You need those Phillips to make things last. Yeah. And then the the fourth one here is interesting. I, of all the different things that happen here in John chapter 1, uh, we know more about Nathaniel because of how Jesus responds and interacts with him. Uh, it's one of Philip's friends. Uh, they're from the same uh, place. And when Jesus sees him, he has this to say, Behold, an Israelite in whom is no guile. And this, this individual, a man of, of great moral excellence, imagine Jesus looking at you and saying, Here's one. Here's an American. And there's no guile in this American. That's what he said about Nathaniel. He's not double-minded. He doesn't have impure motives. He doesn't have pride. He doesn't have unholy passion. He's a, a gentle, meditative, tative spirit. And his mind is thinking of heaven. And, and he's engaged in spiritual exercises. What is he doing there under a fig tree? Well, he's, he's probably... Uh, meditating on on God's word and Jesus says before I even called you I, I saw you under the fig tree and it's fascinating to see his response when he looks at the the Lamb of God and he says Rabbi you are the son of God you're the the king of Israel this is a remarkable man and uh, uh, Nathaniel will even will even make the, the comment, can anything good come from Nazareth? And it's not like he's a prejudice against Nazareth, but he's, he's saying, we're all of humble origin up here. We're, we're from the north, and we're really not trained in any particular school. We don't have any particular degrees. We don't, we don't have these, these fancy rabbis and all their robes and tassels. and We're... We're from Galilee. Can anything good come from Nazareth? And his humble origin, his humility is displayed in his, his reaction. And what he did, he came and saw. When Philip invited him, he came. And we need to have that same mentality. We need to be those that are honestly seeking and looking for this relationship with Jesus Christ. You look at him, he had that human condition still, right? He was a, a man. And we ourselves get stuck in that condition of looking at our world and where the good things come from, where the bad things come from, you know, excellence and whatnot. We live in right above Colorado Springs, the city, the Olympic city, USA, mm -hmm. right? Those were the Olympians come from. And so you think of, all these different things he has in his head, it's not that he's, you know, saying, well, nothing, like, there's no way, that's way too 
I guess I'm trying to think of the word. It's not coming to my mind, but he's not saying that, hey, nothing good. Like, there's no way Jesus won't come from there because it's, it's, he can't believe it. Yeah, he's not doubting it. Uh, it's just he's, he's surprised. He's surprised that the Messiah came from Nazareth. <laughs> Nazareth? You know, this is just, this is some dumpy little town. It's not even on the Jordan River. It's off, you know, it's not even on the Mediterranean. It's just some town, you know, in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and Jesus, the Messiah, is from there? It can't be, but here he is. I I, I see him, and I, I know that it's him because he, you know, he's witnessed uh, one of Jesus's, you know, uh, first miracles here <laughs> where he sees Nathaniel under the fig tree. And, you know, you look at all of Jesus's miracles, and you're like, that's really not that impressive, you know, when it, in the grand scheme of all of his miracles. But Jesus is like, I saw you before you even came here. And Nathaniel goes, that's the Messiah. You know, <laughs> that, that, that was enough for him to go, yes, this is the one. I was sitting under a fig tree. You knew it, and here I am. You have to be the Messiah. <laughs> yeah, and the point I was trying to make is that God uses what we think is unusable, the broken, those who are not seem to be fit. And it's just, it's that constant theme throughout the entire scripture that, yeah, you know, he keeps using this. So it's not them that are glorified. It's God that is glorified. So if you are in that mindset of, hey, I can't, I can't do this. I can't do that. I, I'm not worthy of that. Well, guess what? You better get ready because he's going to use you. <laughs> That's correct. And I love their uh, response and what they, they actually entitle Jesus. They give him titles that are really the the foundational doctrines of Christianity. Think about the the words that they use to describe Jesus. Uh, Nathaniel uses the word Messiah, which is uh, that uh, Hebrew word for the word Christ, which is that Greek word that is uh, defined as the anointed one, the one that is anointed by God. Uh, they use the term King of Israel. They use the term Jesus. They use the terms Son of God and Lamb of God. This this is impressive in their in their intelligence, and really it 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 is so it's so uh, foundational to uh, the doctrine of Christianity. All of these terms, all of these titles, point to the same person, and his name given to him by his mother, Jesus is the one that's going to save the world from sin. And all of these titles point to one fact. This person is worth knowing. This person is worth following. And these five individuals, they're going to make the change from following the forerunner, and they're going to start to change into following the Christ. And they understand now who he is. And their life is about to change. But not just their lives. I mean, the world is about <laughs> to change. <laughs> and so the faith of these, these five, it's so much more than we expect from mere beginners. The idea that Jesus, the divine prophet, the king, the son of the Old Testament prophecy, all of this, however imperfect it was, in their their little mustard grain of faith in the Messiah, the one truth that Jesus is, who he claims to be, is going to uh, begin to uh, 
take its proper place in their mind. And I love how uh, A.B. Bruce kind of sums up this chapter and he says, you know, all of these details about Jesus, about the Messiah, about the very beginning, this relationship, it's going to start to take shape in their mind. And he says, in the firmament of their minds, like the stars appearing in the evening sky as daylight fades away. And just picture that for a moment. It's like those little specks of light. And what happens? They become brighter and brighter and brighter. And then some photographer will go out and, in the mountains and take a picture. And there's the entire Milky Way over uh, that, that range of mountains with the, with the flowers in the foreground. And it's beautiful. And they begin to see all of this unfold as each star sort of appears and becomes brighter and brighter and as as we have that same uh, potential we we're introduced to Jesus and then it's like the light comes on and it becomes brighter and brighter and then we start to see how it all fits together and what a beautiful beginning of a relationship with Jesus yeah, in that same uh, section there in uh, Training of the Twelve that you were just looking at, just a few verses be- or a few uh, sentences before, he's talking about the value of this beginning uh, is not in their spiritual maturity or their their accuracy or their imperfections, but they just just that they became in contact with Jesus, just that they took that first step, that they took that that leap of faith, I guess you could describe it of of. They were following John and his ministry. They see the Messiah and they go, this is the one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to literally drop everything and follow him. Uh, and it wasn't, it wasn't because they were the, the, the perfect uh, Christian, the perfect mature uh, individual. It was because they saw something special and they decided to follow him. Uh, and that's our, our responsibility even today is... Uh, yeah, we're going to spiritually mature and we're going to grow and we're going to learn and we're going to do these things. But this, these are lifetime goals. This is not something that is you go into the water and you come out and I'm a, I'm a perfect Christian and everything's hunky-dory from here on out. That mentality is, is, is not found in Scripture. It is a, it's a gradual learn and a lifetime commitment. Uh, and it started here. Uh, and it just takes that, that first step of commitment and this is uh, when we're looking at training 12 or looking at training uh, disciples or ministers or uh, servants in the Lord's kingdom that's the first step are you going to be willing to take that first step that first leap of faith even though you know I'm going to make mistakes I'm going to fail I'm going to fall I'm going to mess things up I'm not going to be perfectly mature and spiritually uh, accurate all the time, every time, you know, I'm going to have those problems, but know that I'm going to attach myself to Jesus and that's who I'm going to follow. And then if I fail and when I fail, I just get back up and keep going and keep going and have that mentality uh, because that's the, that's one of the hardest mentalities to get stuck into this self-defeating mentality, mentality of, I can't do it. I, I've already messed up once. And so I can't do it again. And I can't, and can't get out of my comfort zone because I might fail or whatever it is that the excuses that come. Imagine being these individuals 
they're looking for the Messiah. They're basically nobodies from the middle of nowhere. Uh, and they're introduced with Jesus, and they decide in that moment, we're dropping everything. This is more important. This is where it's at. Let's follow him. Yeah, we already talked about their characteristics and how they all have different character traits. But the one they share, and the one that leads into what you're saying, Alec, is they were hungering and thirsting for real righteousness. That's the thing they shared. They all had different ways of expressing that, I guess, in their other characteristics. You know, we talked about impulsiveness and slowness and showing Christ. But they all shared that. They were hungering and thirsting after real righteousness. And that's when we have to ask ourselves is, do I have that characteristic? Because I need that one. That's the one we all have to share to be the Christian men and women that we need to be for God is we have to be that seeker of truth and we have to want real righteousness. Yeah. So when you bring it back to Second Timothy 2, 2, how do we find faithful men? Well, we have to find those men that are seeking and hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Uh, those that are already doing that, already doing the work and just introduce them to, all right, you're already doing it. Let's keep going. Let's keep going down this path. Let's not give up. And Jesus would promise, you will see greater things than these. Truly, truly, I say to you, you'll see the heavens opened, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What a great promise. We will see it when we follow him. It will leave you with a few questions. What are you pursuing in your life? Are you hungering after real righteousness? We hope you guys come back and join us next week as we continue our study of the training of the 12th.